All right. Okay. So um, just in terms of review, um, we just last week, we finished what I call the cover letter. Um, if you have a, um, if you've ever applied for a job, there's the resume and then there's the cover letter. The cover letter was written to the seven churches. And then there was some specific pieces that John said about how Jesus appeared to him, what he looked like. And then he began to give the letters to the churches. We had done um, the four um, churches in Revelation chapter two. Last week, we did the three churches in Revelation chapter three. We talked about Sardis, which was the dead church with only a few living that had to repent so that, that the little life that it had would not be taken away. Philadelphia was the missionary church that Jesus, with the key of David, that shuts what no man opens and opens what no man shuts, had an open door of ministry and a promise of closure to their persecution. Seemed unfair to me when I listened, when I read what he had said to the church of Smyrna, but you got to do what Jesus is telling you to do and not worry about somebody else's assignment. Somebody say amen. And then we read about the, uh, the church at Laodicea, which was lukewarm, even though they had the most material wealth. And um, so they had material wealth with spiritual poverty, and they left Jesus outside of the church knocking to get into the church that he purchased with his own blood. And we said we have to be careful, um, those of us that are part of the church in the United States of America, because our material poverty, our material riches and prosperity on a global basis, whether or not you like the billionaire who paid off the people's debt at Morehouse University or just the person that's just trying to pay your college student loan on a global basis, you are wealthy. And so we have to be careful that we are not the people that become lukewarm and the deceitfulness of riches get us to the point that um, our wealth uh, um, makes us materially rich, but spiritually poor. Somebody say amen. Yeah. All right. Now we're getting from chapter four on to the end, we're getting into the more prophetic pieces of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, there are chapters that will deal with heavenly things, and then there are other chapters that will deal with earthly things. And then there are some chapters that are kind of in between. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch Batman, not one of these modern Batmans, but da -da 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 -da. and then when they would hit somebody, they would go pow and bam. If, uh, if you're a millennial, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You go out to YouTube, go out to YouTube to see the real Batman. Um, and uh, sometimes they would have events that was happening in one place and then they would they would transition scenes by saying, meanwhile, back at the Batcave and then there would be a whole nother scene going on. And so as we go through uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, what we're going to see is that there will be heavenly scenes that have trigger points in the earthly scenes. And so Revelation chapter four starts with a, a heavenly scene. But before we get into this, um, I have some backdrop scriptures and I don't know if I'm going to get to Revelation chapter four today, but I'm going to really try hard. But I got to get my foundation right. I am a pastor I am a teacher and I am very um, I am very, very conscious of not hanging thoughts out that people don't have the foundation for, because then they don't know how to put it in their lives. And and then they get to the point where they're building 
uh, spiritual air castles with no foundation underneath them. And so that's why I do. I'm, I'm very methodical. And sometimes it takes me a while to get rolling. It's not because I'm trying to buy time. I'm trying to build foundation. All right. Um, so let's look at. Um, and then one other point, we talked about this in volume one, so I won't review it, but I just want to remind you of the statement that we made that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word's established. So I cannot treat um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, commonly known as the book of Revelation, as if it's separate from the other 65 books of the Bible. There is a, an internal consistency. And so I'm going to let the Bible provide commentary to itself by utilizing other scriptures to witness to what, what God was revealing through his servant, the Apostle John, in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about some of Paul's um, revelations of end-time events. Look at 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read chapter 4, and we're going to read um, verses 13 through 18. Common passages of scripture, things you've heard in funerals, a thousand and one times, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but I need to cover it for the sake of um, consistency of coverage and clarity. And it says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So there must be a time when those who sleep in Jesus come with him. That's what that said. For this we say um, to you by the word of the Lord. Paul said, I didn't just get this on my own. God, Jesus told me this, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or go before those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Okay. Common passage of scripture, right? Um, how many of you have uh, been at a funeral and heard this passage of scripture? Not, this is very common, isn't it? All right. And we get a lot of comfort when we are there with our loved ones and feeling the loss of separation, that there is comfort knowing that was not the last time I'm going to see my person. Right. I'm, I'm often one to tell people that I know about the crossover. When you see my daddy, tell him I'm still doing the thing that he trained me to do. And I will see him soon. All right. And I find comfort in that and I find strength in that. Now, let's look at Paul. Let's get another one um, in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start at verse 42 and go down to verse 54. Again, a common passage of scripture. Don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but for completeness, we need to cover it. All right. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So it says that the way we... Um, we bury a body is like planting a seed. That's the that's the context um, of of what we're talking about here. We're we're plant we bury a body like planting a seed, and like a seed is planted and sprouts up, and the life that's in it comes out. That's what it's like. The resurrection of the dead. The body is sown or planted in corruption. That means it plants and decays just like any seed does. It is raised in incorruption. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual or a glorified body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, talking about Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. In other words, the natural Adam came before the last Adam or Jesus Christ. All right. Um the first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust. Um, but if you only know Jesus that way, excuse me, if you're not saved, you just a dusty person. <laughs> um, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, because he said, we're going to make man in our image and we have all the image of Adam. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man if we have been conformed into the image of God's dear son. Right now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You can't get this on your own. You can't figure it out. God has to explain it to you. That's what the term mystery means. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Um, have you ever had somebody swat at you and before you knew it, you blinked? That fast blink, he says, by as fast as you blink will be how fast you'll be changed from your natural body to your spiritual body. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we that are alive is talking about shall be changed for this corruption corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this incorrupt, this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. All right. And so there is coming a generation um, according to the scripture, um, that will defeat death. Earlier in this passage in Revelation, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Christ must sit at, his, at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies be made his footstool. And then it says, the last enemy is death. Now, when the last enemy is death, then that generation of the church that has then gotten victory over every other thing, not every person, but every person that's really walking and working with God will get victory over everything. We'll get victory over sickness. We'll get victory over poverty. We'll get victory um, over sin. We'll get victory over everything. And then the very last enemy that they'll get victory over is death. And then those that are alive and remain get their resurrected body and get caught up. All right. And for those people, death is swallowed up in victory. All right. Um, now, we like how many of you have heard both of these passages of scripture in a context of a funeral home going service? Very common, aren't they? They're not 
nothing here is really unique in terms of how people think of end time events. Now, let me give you another one that um, was also written to the church at Thessalonica in the, in the book of Second Thessalonians that's not often described in terms of end time events. So let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, brethren, concerning, listen what we're talking about, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, we've already spent some time talking about Jesus coming and us being gathered, the dead rising first, those that are alive and remain, all of us being glorified and, and, and um, being caught up together with him in the air, right? We've already talked about. So Paul is now giving us more clarification on that, and he's trying to correct a specific doctrinal issue that was spoken of in the church. I was talking about this specific passage of scripture with one person, um, and I asked them about it. I said, hey, man, um, you know, because uh, I knew this, this person, great man of God, um, sees it differently than I do in this area. And there is a lot of difference in this. And I said, hey, is there going to be a physical, literal antichrist? And his response to me was, well, Paul believes so. Hold it. We, we've already established that this is scripture. This isn't just Paul's belief. If I read you something here, you got to take it. Not because I said it, but because I believe that this is the word of God. Now, if there's some other criteria for the word, then you need to come up and tell that to me and explain it. All right. But here's Paul in the context of scripture clarifying a specific issue. So let's start over again. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit, don't let some spirit tell you, or by some word or by some other letter as if it was from us, because people were writing fake news in Paul's name. He was experiencing identity theft. And they were writing letters to churches as if they were Paul. And then what were they saying? As though the day of Christ had already, I, I'm putting the word already, come. Because some people will read uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ and say all of that stuff already happened back in 70 AD. He said, don't be moved by that. That is very clear. Can anybody give me an amen on that? All right. Now let's look at verse three. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day that Christ has come will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining that he may re be revealed in his own time. So let's stop here for a second. He says uh, that there will be this thing that um, 
is called a falling away. We want to understand what is the thing of falling away. Um, there are those that teach that the falling away is that um, people going to be in sin and then there's going to be the, the church people are going to get cold and then they're going to fall away from the gospel. Iniquity shall abound, love of many shall wax, wax cold. Of, and some people think that the last church age, the last part of the church age is like Laodicea, where everybody is lukewarm and cold and trying to be in the church and in the world. And then they're going to fall away and just go to the world. Now, that's one perspective on it. Another perspective of the falling away, falling away means to literally forsake something. Now, we sing a song. When I see Jesus, amen. Now, listen, what would you be, how would you consider the world if you were alive and remain and Jesus came and you saw him and you were changed? Would you want to stay here or be with him? When you see Jesus, you're going to turn to the world and say, baby, bye. Right. So what I'm trying to articulate is a perspective that the falling away is actually you're rejecting the world when you see Jesus, because your Bible says when we see him, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. We're going to see him as glorified form. You know, even now, when we think about how many people have been with really real for real believers when they were getting ready to cross over. I remember my dad, he wanted to take care of his family, but he began when he got to the point of crossing over, he began to see Jesus and get out of his body. And it really didn't matter at that point. He didn't care about none of us. Baby, bye. God got you. I'm going to see Jesus. Well, um, there is a thing that happens when people see Jesus. They just want to be with him. Now, that is true at an individual level. But when we all see him together, we're going to all want to be with him in that moment and be caught up together with him in the air. Got it? All right. Now, after that time, when we have caught away, then there is an unfolding of events that happens in heaven that results in the Antichrist who has been restrained being revealed because now it's his time to do what he wants to do. All right. And that's what this scripture says, that that the church is the restraining thing that's keeping the Antichrist from coming, because until we get caught up and get caught up and the things happen in heaven, he can't come in the earth in full form. That doesn't mean Antichrist stuff doesn't happen, because John taught us in first John that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. But the spirit of Antichrist is not the same thing as a man who is Antichrist. Any more than the fact that 
The spirit of Christ came into the world before Jesus Christ came into the world. The spirit of Christ came on the prophets and then they began to see who Jesus Christ would be. Spirit of Christ came on David and David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at thy, thy, my right hand until your enemies be made your footstool. The spirit of Christ came upon Isaiah and Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his our peace was laid upon him and with his stripes were healed. The spirit of Christ came into the world through those men. And then those words became flesh and Jesus Christ dwelt among us. Well, if the spirit of Christ came into the world before Jesus Christ came into the world, then the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. And eventually the Antichrist is coming into the world because the word of God through the Apostle Paul told us that he was. Right. That was verse six. He has to be revealed, but it's in his own time. Now let's look at verse seven. For the mystery of lawlessness or the mystery of iniquity is already at work. In other words, sin is what sinners are already doing. The Antichrist is already being Antichrist. When we see things in the world that are demonic, devilish, we know that the Antichrist is already in the world at a spiritual level. But that doesn't mean that the literal Antichrist has already come. Got it? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The he that restrains is the church. That's us being salt and light in the earth. Us preaching the gospel, bringing the kingdom, binding the devil, right? Witnessing, preaching, teaching, healing, advancing the kingdom is the thing that restrains because light pushes out darkness. That's why God can't have a lukewarm church to advance his, his agenda. You need to get on fire for Jesus. Because you're supposed to be restraining and then go from that to being taken out of the way. Then you in heaven. Then, hey, then it hey, game on. All right. Um, look at verse eight. And then the lawless one will be revealed. When will he be revealed? When the restraining ones are taken out of the way. Now, what's going to happen to this lawless one whom the Lord will consume with the breath of of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. All right. We know in the end, we're going to win. Satan is going to put his biggest anti anointing. Cause that's what antichrist is on a specific person. Who's going to launch his best shot at overthrowing the things of God. And he's going to lose. All right. We already know he's going to lose. Because Jesus is going to destroy him. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and watch this, lying wonders. Just because a person does miracles doesn't mean that they are of God. Moses was performing miracles, and there were these two magicians working for Pharaoh called Jannes and Jambres. He threw down his rod. They threw down their rod. They were doing miracles. Listen, those Egyptian pyramids, them people knew something about the demonic and how to do things with spiritual power. OK, um, now, verse 10 and 
with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. We're not supposed to be deceived, neither by the Antichrist when he comes or by the spirit of Antichrist who's already here. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Okay, you got to be careful. Uh, one of the things that keeps us right with the church is we're willing to deal with truth even when it's painful. Jesus gave those seven churches truth that was painful. And he said, I love you enough to rebuke you. So be zealous and repent. I don't ever want to get to the point where people got to tell me what I want to hear and not what I need to hear. I don't ever want that. Okay. Um, that they might be saved. Verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, this is the one that gets us in trouble. Because if we're not careful, there are things that are unrighteous that we might get lulled into. I mean, I don't want to do it, man, but I don't mind watching it on Game of Thrones or I'm just... I'm sorry, I'm just, or whatever your thing is. We have to be careful because those things are enticing for us from an entertainment perspective. Got it? All right. We all have to be careful and watch because I don't want that stuff hanging on to me. And then I'm like the five foolish virgins, not the five wise ones. And I got my oil going out watching Netflix and chilling. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me right through here. Okay. But I got to preach it because it's in the word of God. All right. And I don't want this stuff to catch me with my work undone. Right. Um, eight key thoughts on Paul's revelation of end time events. We're making good time. You're a good class. Okay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, number one. There is an event where the um, where the church, the living and the dead. I'm, OK, I, I was really running on this one. So I, caught, I had part of a thought will be caught up with the Lord. So that's where the, that's the tail part of that first one. There is an event where the church living and dead will be caught up with the Lord. Got it. Number two, during this event, Christ descends with a shout and a voice. Right. Shout of an archangel, they'll hear the voice of God. Number three, the dead in Christ arise first and receive their glorified bodies. Four, the living church is also glorified instantaneously as fast as you can blink your eye. Right? All of that we've read. Now let's go on to number five. While some put all of this on the last day, Paul states the restraining force, which I see as a church, will be taken out of the way during this time. In church circles, this is called, this catching away is called rapture. Right? Pastor David, rapture, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. Okay. But the word Trinity doesn't either. Do you believe that there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? We've just classified it a certain way. Okay, we created a term to describe it, 
But whether we whether whether that term is used, I'm going to show that the concept is in Scripture. In fact, the rapture of the church is rapture. Number four. Really, Pastor David? Yeah, because my back to the future concept is we can see patterns that show us what God's going to do in the future. All right. So that was number five. Number six, after the church is removed and in heaven, then the Antichrist can be revealed. And we'll see the, the triggers that happen, the trigger that happens in heaven that that is the that opens the revealing of the Antichrist. All right. Um, now, let me stop here before I go on to number seven. So my determination on whether or not the Antichrist is around is not looking at computer chips, wars and rumors of war, famine and earthquakes, the Ebola plague, swine flu, bird flu, what's happening with um, Israel. Watch it. Oh, oh mommy, I'm getting, folk getting scared because Israel is the sign of everything. Uh, what's happening with Syria and North Korea and the United States and uh, whether or not, um, you know, people are getting computer chip implants in their hands. I'm not looking at none of those things. I'm not saying that they aren't out there. I'm not even saying that they aren't relevant. But the real sign of whether or not until the restraining force is taken out of the way, then None of those things can ultimately get to where Satan is trying to get to. Is he trying to get somewhere? Yes, he's trying to get somewhere, but something is standing in his way. What is it? The church. Now, he'll have all the things in place such that when we're taken out of the way, he can then put the plan in place so you can see that those things are, are occurring, but those things aren't the sign we are, which means that you got to get about your assignment. What did Jesus say? The gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to the uttermost parts of the world, to all the nations for a witness. Then the end comes. So I don't look at their stuff. I'm trying to see how we handle our business in here, not what they're doing out there. All right. Number seven. Until the physical Antichrist is revealed, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. Right. We talked about that in length in. Um, in volume one of this series. So please go back and listen or watch that if you want to get more. Number eight, after some period of time, which is called the tribulation, Jesus comes back. To deal with the Antichrist. Now I'm asking a question that I'm going to answer. Does he come alone or with others? Yeah, that's the right answer. Okay. So let's let's build up to the right answer. Somebody in the room say it with others. Yep, they were right. All right. Um, well, Pastor David, rapture is not a biblical concept. Oh, really? Remember that our basis of teaching. Is back to the future, things that have already happened in the past that establish a pattern for the future. All right, so let me give you a list. Three raptures that have already occurred. The first one is Enoch. The second one is Elijah. 
And the third one is Jesus. All right. All three of these have already occurred. Now, the interesting thing is. After each one of these. Right. Uh, nobody would argue with you that Enoch wasn't caught up. But I'm going to show you the scripture just in case. Well, OK, I don't know if people they may not know all the stuff about Enoch. OK, well, then they know about Elijah being caught up with the chariot. Well, they may or may not know all about that. But if you in the church, if you don't know about the first two, you certainly know about number three. Even if you didn't know the details on the first two, you do know that Jesus was caught up. I don't I, I have yet to be in a church that will not agree with me that Jesus was caught up to the right hand of the father. Got it. All right. But hold it. How do you say if these three have happened that the church can't happen? I don't understand how you can say that. All right. When Enoch was caught up, the world kept going. It didn't all happen and end. When Elijah was caught up, the world kept going. Uh Oh, when Jesus was caught up. The world's still going, isn't it? So is there a possibility, even if you have a doctrine that differs from what I'm espousing, could you at least open yourself to the possibility that if I'm three and oh, that the world keeps going, that maybe number four, does, it does, too. Right. OK, so let's look at it. Let's look at Enoch. We're just going to take some time and talk through these Genesis chapter five, verses twenty one through twenty four. And then. Just just so that I don't leave you with the Old Testament, I'm going to show you in Hebrews 11 where it describes this same event. So we have the two witnesses of Old and New Testament describing the fact that Enoch was caught up. Genesis 5, 21 says Enoch lived 65 years and begat or gave birth to Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man in the world. Somebody know that, right? You as old as Methuselah. Ever heard that statement? OK, nobody is. Um, but but you understand the statement. And he begat Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years after he begat Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So Methuselah was not his only child. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. He was caught up alive in his physical body into heaven. That's what that means. All right. Now, it said there the Lord took him. I could I could have said the Lord raptured him. All right. Oh, man, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's look at Hebrews 11 and five. Now, we all jump into without faith, it's impossible to please, please God in Hebrews 11 and six. But it was talking about how Enoch pleased God before before um, verse six and verse five. Let's look at it. Hebrews 11 and five. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He was alive and remained and was caught into heaven and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. OK, let's let's just stop here for a second. You need to walk with God and your walk needs to be pleasing with God if you intend to be caught up with God when Jesus comes. If I want to go back to the future, I want to figure. Listen, 
I don't want to see about the people who didn't get it to work. I want to talk to the guy that got it to work and his testimony, his track record, his resume was that he walked with God and that his walk was pleasing with God because he believed God and believed that he was a rewarder if he diligently sought God. Because that's what faith is. Right. Now, because Enoch walked with God, he got inside information about God that other people didn't know about God. Now, before Jesus first coming, at Christmas time, we'll tell you that Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until Jesus Christ, the baby, was born. Right. Anybody know that Christmas story? Simeon was in the temple. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Enoch bore a son. His name is Methuselah. Methuselah's name, an alternative rendering. This is not my revelation. I read this um, out of the late Dr. Lester Summerall, and I went back and did my own study to confirm that it was so. Methuselah, his name means at his death, the waters would burst out. Methuselah lived so long because he had to live until Noah finished building the ark and could go in it. Because when the ark was built and the waters came out, then Methuselah died. And I actually did the math. I wrote I wrote out uh, a chart and I laid out all the years and proved that Methuselah's years and then the date of the ark was the same year and Jewish scholars say it happened at the same moment. Enoch was the one who told his son, listen, man, God's going to destroy the earth with a flood and you are not going to die until the flood comes. But that same Enoch who saw the flood before Jesus first coming, saw his second coming and saw who was coming with him when there wasn't saints on the earth. Let's look at the, the book of Jude, verses 14 and 15. It's only one chapter in Jude, verses 14 and 15. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, also saying, behold, the Lord comes. This is not his first coming. This is his second coming with 10,000 of his saints. But for his saints to come with him, they got to be with him when he comes this time. Now look at what he's coming to do. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Listen. Every word that you say can and will be spoken, uh, every word you speak can and will be used against you in the court of heaven's judgment. You know how they read you your Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Everything you can say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Listen, this scripture says that when uh, we're in the age of grace, but when that door shuts and Jesus is coming to judge, if you still got them words hanging out there and haven't repented, them words are going to be used against you. Isn't that what that says? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is uh, the chart that talks about the fact 
of where Methuselah is, and you'll see that line where the flood is, is right when he died. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have one of these charts. I actually created it um, <laughs> with Microsoft Project. I just had to turn days into years. I'm just saying. But I created a chart like this by hand. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because I'm an engineer, and this is how I manage projects. That's why I did it. Um, so Enoch saw this second coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? He actually saw it before Jesus had come the first time and understood that his first time was peace on earth, but the second time was with judgment. All right. Then there's Elijah is the second one. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to deal with Elijah, but remember 2 Kings 2, 9 through 14, that, take that down for your reference for Elijah. And what you'll see is that in Elijah's coming, remember, um, Elisha was the one that he said, give me the double portion. He said, if you can see me when I'm caught up, you'll have my portion. He saw him, the chariot came, took him up, Right. The chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof, his mantle fell down. Elisha took the mantle, smote the waters that Elijah had smote. And they said the same spirit on Elijah is on Elisha. In both of those cases, the world kept going. Got it? Now, let's look at number three. This one I am going to read um, on Jesus because he's the main one, right? Um, I can't make a general principle on any other person's life, but I can take Jesus' life by himself and make a general principle on it if he establishes that. You agree with me on that? All right. But I've already given you two witnesses thus far. <laughs> and now I'm on the third. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, that's Jesus, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels dressed like people who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, some people say he ain't coming, but I can't get past what he just said that he's coming again. How do you how do you come up with something different than that? Like, it's one thing to say, well, I believe it's all the last day and I don't know if there's going to be a tribulation. But some people say it's world without end and he's ain't he ain't never coming back because all his coming back has happened behind us. And that happened back in 70 AD. But what do I do with a scripture that said he was caught up? And angels declaring that the same way he was caught up, he's coming back again. I don't know what to do with that if I don't if I don't address his second coming. The issue that I have is, is that the people who say that it's only a last day and a final judgment, um, they skip past the parts that deal with the Antichrist and with these other judgments, even though they're clearly outlined in Scripture, they're clearly in the in the New Testament, in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And they're certainly even in the Old Testament when you deal with the prophetic books of Daniel, though Daniel is dealing with it from the aspect of the of Israel, whereas Revelation is dealing with it primarily from the aspect of the church. 
All right. I did all of that as fast as I did it so I could get you to where we could read Revelation chapter four. All right. Do you see that background? Every, everybody with me? Did I lose you? Nope. you look good. OK. Revelation chapter four is only 11 verses. And then I'm going to give you keys from this and then we'll go on from the day. Are you getting some out of this? All right. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Uh Oh, remember, Jesus, according to the church at Philadelphia, is he that opens doors that no man can close. So he sees a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was like the last trump. Was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. Now. What was happening is in that moment, John was getting a spiritual preview of the catching away of the church. There was a door open. He heard a voice like the trumpet, the last trump of God, and it told him to come up here like we're going to be told to come up here. But his thing is to come up here so that he can see what we're going to actually be. Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit, just like we're going to be glorified. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. That means his appearance is bright like a shining jewel. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. These are not angels. These are people. Because angels never, ever, ever sit in the presence of God. Angels are of the serving class. They don't get to sit down. Jesus said, those that overcome will sit down with me and my father in his throne. Angels don't sit. The maid don't get to sit in my house. She got the work. It ain't her house. But those that overcome with Jesus talking about the church, they get to sit down. All right. Um, verse five. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We talked about that this is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We did that in chapter one, and we talked about it and referenced it in Isaiah chapter 11. Now look at verse six. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, what I'm going to assert to you is that this sea of glass is describing a sea of humanity. This is a sea of people who have been purified to stand before the throne and their representatives are represented there in terms of those four and 20 elders. All right, sea of crystal. And in the midst of the throne and all around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. First living creature was like a lion. Second living creature like a calf. Third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Man, Pastor, I don't understand how these 
pictures. I, I don't understand what they look like. Well, we know they're beautiful because they're in heaven. Ain't nothing ugly there. All right. Verse eight, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. So these angelic creatures are leading in worship. Right. So the things that they say in heaven about God, we should be saying on earth about God. That you're holy, you're clean, you're separate, you're in a class all by yourself. You're Lord God Almighty. You was, you is, and you is to come. Okay. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. See, even even our authority in the presence of God has to be submitted at his feet. Yeah, he's given us authority. Yep. Mm -hmm. In earth, you can you can be the man, you can walk, you can talk, you can take authority over the devil. But when you're in the presence of God himself, you got to humble yourself. You got to get up off your throne. He don't get up off of his for you, but you got to get up off yours for him. Cast the throne down, cast the crown down and worship him. By the way, even in our, in heaven, there's offerings. Okay. Am I right? Isn't that what that said? That was an offering. They cast golden crowns at his feet. And what did they say? Saying, verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, are crea for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. All right. One list. Seven keys to Revelation chapter four. Um, number one, the, the one with the key of David, who is Jesus, opens the door to heaven to John in a prophetic way, in a prophetic view of the church being caught away. So just like John was caught up at his at his sound, we're going to hear his voice saying, come up here and we're going to be caught up too, in Jesus name. And I intend to go and be ready to go then. Can I get an amen? Somebody ready to go with me? All right. Now, number two, he immediately sees God the Father seated on his throne. God's speaking is represented by lightning, thunder, and voices from the throne. Number three, because of God's representative government, he sees 24 elders representing Old Testament believers and those of us in a church age around the throne. Right now, if you've taught me, heard me preach on praise and worship, I've taught you that John asked Jesus, God, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left. Jesus said, my father selects his own elders. God, my father chooses when I I'm the man down here. But when I go back home, I'm still the number two. <laughs> All right. And these 24 elders are God's dream team to represent all of humanity throughout all eternity. Now, John wished it was him, but John, <laughs> um, excuse me, John's mother wished that James and John was one of the two. But uh, John, Jesus said, no, pump, pump your brakes, Ma. <laughs> you know, because mamas want their sons to get the best. You know, I'm mad at her. Right. But 
Um, they represent believers seated in heavenly places in Christ. Number four, he also sees the sevenfold manifestation of the spirit of God. We talked about that before in Isaiah chapter 11, verses one through three. This equivalent symbolism to the seven churches. Remember, the churches, the churches on earth were described as the seven lampstands on earth. The Holy Spirit is described as the seven lampstands in heaven. These symbolism means that every church should be spirit filled. Because he's the oil that produces the light on earth. Right? The spirit of the Lord God is upon us because he has anointed us. If we don't have any oil, we are a dead church and the, can the light about to go out. We need some ointment, baby. You need to have some oil flowing so that your church can be going with God. Somebody say amen to that. Now, um, that was number four. Number five, the crystal sea later referred to as mixed with fire, is the glorious church. It is the sea of humanity that has been purified through the blood of Jesus. All right. Sometimes, sometimes in symbolism, like mountains can represent kingdoms. Right. This is a symbolic thing, but it's saying a sea of humanity. All right. Number... Six, the four angelic creatures who guard the throne, right? That's one of their, these four angelic creatures are there. Part of, remember, cherubim, just like Lucifer, were, were over the glory place to guard the glory. Isaiah saw angels, six wings, didn't he? High and lifted up. Angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. These cherubim are guarding the presence of God. Listen, everything in heaven has, you got to have access to it. You don't just walk up in the parts of heaven. <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a young minister uh, preparing for this, for this seat that I sit at now, uh, apostle, when she had the pastor's office, she wouldn't let me sit down in her seat. She said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I, I paid a price to sit in this seat. And there was protections that guarded it. Okay, so there are protections that guard places. There, even heaven has ushers, right? Um, they also, not only do they guard the throne of God, they lead the worship to God, right? Because they led and then the elders followed. The, the symbolism is if the elders followed, then the rest of the church went with the elders. See the dominoes there? All right. And we're going to see this in some of the future chapters because they are angels. They are there to assist John with messages. John, this is what this means. This is what that means. Because angels are sent to minister to those of us who are heirs of salvation. Right. And then finally, finally, number seven, what we see there is worship from angels and saints, believers in unity before the throne. All right, I did all of that so I could get you there. All right. It was this a blessing to you?